You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. So John 15, verses 1 through 8. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So often, our understanding of Jesus and the gospel has been shaped by things that are not from the Bible. For more than 2,000 years, Jesus Christ has been misquoted so often, many of us are more familiar with words he never said than words he actually did. And as a result of this, God's message of grace, intended to express love, truth, and hope, has been diluted and conveyed as nothing more as empty and superficial platitudes. Words that were meant to give life and bring salvation have become twisted into catchy sound bites that leave confusion, frustration, and pain in their wake. You're coming today, if you're a guest, if you haven't been with us, to the end of a sermon series designed to counter this trend, and it's called Jesus Never Said That, hence the t-shirt. Jesus Never Said That. Together over these last few weeks, we've identified and corrected words wrongly attributed to Jesus and the scriptures. And in declaring what is not the gospel, we have more deeply considered and benefited from what the good news of the Bible is as revealed through Christ. Like I said, we close out this series this morning, and I I want to welcome those who are watching on the live stream as well. Thank you for joining us, and glad that you can be a part of today's service. This morning, we address one last thing Jesus never said. There's more we could cover, but for this series, there's one last statement we want to cover. And this particular statement that we're going to be focusing on today is a big one. In fact, an entire theology has been created out of this one wrong idea, and it's this. God will give you the desires of your heart. God will give you the desires of your heart. Did Jesus say that? Well, let's be careful, because listen to the following scriptures. All words from Jesus. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. 
Or, again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. Or from today, you just heard it. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Or one more, I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. God will give you the desires of your heart. This idea is supposedly rooted not just in something Jesus said, but in several other verses from the Bible as well, like this famous one from Psalm 37. The Lord will give you the desires of your heart. Does God promise to give us everything we desire and all we have to do is ask? Well, at first glance, it sure seems like Jesus said this. Again, as I mentioned, a whole theology with this unique slant on the Bible thrives based on hearing Jesus say this very thing. If you're not familiar with it, it's called the prosperity gospel. And its basic premise is God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. God wants for you to, for you to prosper. God wants for you to be healthy. He wants for you to be wealthy. He wants for you to be wise. If you name it, if you name the specific manifestation of health, wealth, or wisdom you desire, then you can claim it from the Lord. That's the theology of the prosperity gospel. But again, I ask, does the Lord give us the desire of our hearts? Empirically, I'd have to say no. Empirically, I'd have to say no. I mean, personally, I desire a lot of things I don't have. I'll just share a couple. I could go on. I desire a metabolism that allows me to eat whatever I want without having to exercise or worry about the consequences. Oh, you want that too, okay. I desire to never argue or fight with anyone else, that we would all just get along all the time and agree on everything, and by everything, I mean the way that I see things. Why is that funny? But God has not fulfilled these desires. So if Jesus really said this, if the Bible says this, then is God a liar? Now an advocate of the prosperity gospel might say, God is not a liar. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God wants to bless you, to give you what you desire, Chris. You just aren't asking the right way. Which ultimately means I don't have enough faith. I don't really believe. So then... Okay, when it comes to the promise, God will give you the desires of your heart, either God is a liar or the burden is on me, it's my fault, or maybe this, maybe Jesus never said that. Maybe Jesus never said that in the first place. Now, this is a, this is, we save this for last because this statement is tricky because Jesus said something like that. But he didn't say what we've turned his words into. What you're going to learn this morning, unlike maybe some of the other weeks we've been in this, is the context is key. The thing is, all those verses I shared with you at the beginning, you go back and look at all, the, at all those verses in context, meaning you look at the full conversation, dialogue that's taking place. You look at each statement in the broader context of what Jesus is teaching about asking God for anything, and he talks about deferring to the Lord's character and will. 
In other words, Jesus does not promise us anything and everything we want. Rather, Jesus repeatedly instructs us as his disciples to ask in my name. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray on the basis of Jesus' authority, which in other words means it's to ask for things Jesus told us, Jesus taught us, are good. Because that which is good is of God. So to pray in Jesus' name is to ask for things according to the will of God, not according to whatever we want. And, And if you think about it, And this is, again, the brilliance of the incarnation, why why Jesus is so important, one of many reasons, is Jesus, this is what Jesus did. This is what he modeled for us, right? Jesus continually modeled in his prayers, in his petitions, and how he acted, I want what the Father wants. He even literally said that. I pray for what the Father, I do what the Father's will is. He didn't just teach us this, tell us this. He modeled it. And in following him, he told us to do as he did. And and in fact, what I'm sharing with you is explicitly drawn out in our text today. That's why we looked at John chapter 15. You heard it. Jesus stresses, apart from me, you can do nothing. There is no true, lasting fruit apart from abiding in him. That's the whole theme of this section that we read in the Gospel of John. There's no lasting, true fruit apart from our relationship with Christ. And that's why, based on this foundation, this understanding, Jesus then says... If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So if you're tracking with me, what then did Jesus really say? What does the Bible say about this? Here it is, short and sweet. God won't give you the desires of your heart, but God will give you the desires of his heart, his heart for you and for this world. And I'm gonna spend the rest of our time unpacking this. So let me say it one more time. God won't give you the desires of your heart, but God will give you the desires of his heart for you and for this world. Now, the first thing we need to understand, really important, is that desire itself is not bad. Desire itself is not bad. God created us with the capacity to experience and appreciate pleasure, enjoyment, and satisfaction. He created us to experience and enjoy these things through our eyes, our ears, our tongues, our noses, our nerves, our hearts, our minds, as well as our very souls. And he created us with this capacity to experience and appreciate pleasure, enjoyment, and satisfaction along with the desire, that strong feeling of longing, of wanting, of wishing to pursue it, to pursue such pleasure, such enjoyment, such satisfaction. What you need to hear is desire itself as part of the human experience is God-given. Desire motivates us, right? Achieve worthwhile things. Here's the rub. Desire itself is not bad, it is God-given, but not all of our desires, plural, not all of our yearnings come from God, and therefore, not all of our desires are good. It's the second thing we need to understand. You see, in the beginning, in the very beginning, our desires derived from and were in sync with the will of God, who created us again with this capacity to experience and appreciate feeling good. But when we divorced ourselves from the Lord, 
When we rejected his will for our lives, choosing to go our own way in filling up that God-given feel-good tank, it's another way of talking about what we like to call in the church sin. When that happened, our desires became skewed like everything else in all creation. What happened is what we long for, what we wish for, what we want is no longer centered in the Lord's design and purpose for us. Instead, what we long for, what we want, what we wish, instead of being God-centered, is self-centered. This creates, by the way, a twofold problem. Twofold problem. First, we crave and indulge desires that are not good for us or for others. For example, the desire to harm or to kill. By the way, this is a reason why God gives us his top 10. These desires are not good for you. Stealing, lying, killing, not good for you and certainly not good for your neighbor. So first, the result of this break in the relationship, we crave and indulge desires that are not good for us or for others. But second, we also subvert desires that are good in how we seek to fulfill them. For example, we're created with the desire to eat. Eating is good. I like eating. Eating is good. We're created with the desire to eat, but we're not created, that desire was not intended for us to be sat, to satisfy the desire to eat by becoming cannibals or by stuffing ourselves while others go hungry. So one, we crave and desire things that are not good for us or for others, or we subvert desires that are good in how we seek to fulfill them. So if you follow that, God's not going to give us the desires of our heart because our human hearts are broken. They're not in alignment with God's heartbeat, and therefore the desires that come out of our heart are suspect. Jesus taught this clearly, by the way. This isn't just me. Jesus said that we live, think, behave, and feel out of our hearts. Jesus teaches us this repeatedly. And then Jesus finally comes out at one point and says, from out of the heart, Jesus says, from out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. And long before Jesus, it wasn't some innovation, long before Christ showed up, prophets like Jeremiah declared the same thing. Hear Jeremiah when he says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. The problem of the human condition, in other words, is a heart problem. Salvation, unlike how we often tell it to others, is not a change of heart. Jesus isn't trying to change your heart. Salvation is about a heart transplant. We need a new heart. We need the heart of Jesus to replace our failing heart that is consumed with envy, with jealousy, with false hopes, with deceit, with anguish and uncertainty. On our own, apart from God, from the one who is good and therefore the source of all goodness, apart from that, God, we don't know and often mistake what's best for us and for each other. We stumble over making decisions, right? And we often end up choosing what's bad. Our hearts can get the better of us. You know what I'm talking about? Our hearts can get the better of us and our desires consume us. When I say our desires consume us, what I mean is we can focus on nothing else, right? Until our desires literally consume us. We become victims of them. Think about it, addiction in all of its forms, addiction in all of its forms, alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling, shopping, on and on and on. Addiction in all of its forms is when our desires finally imprison us. 
And I think no one understood this better, by the way. No one understood this better than a man named St. Augustine. St. Augustine. If you don't know who St. Augustine is, he's a fourth century bishop of the early church. And honestly, next to the Apostle Paul, he's probably one of the biggest influences on how we understand and follow Jesus today. And he wrote, if you've never read this, I, I really, this is recommended reading from Pastor Chris. He, he wrote way, way back, we're talking in the fourth century, long before TMZ and all the rest of it, a tell-all tell autobiography. St. Augustine like just put it all out there. A tell-all autobiography about his conversion to Christ. He called it the Confessions. And in that, get this, Augustine describes his journey as the struggle of myself against myself. I love that. The struggle of myself against myself. And he just, he, he tell, he's so, it's, honestly, it's almost, you, you'll blush, you'll be embarrassed. He's just out, he puts it all out there. How as a young man, he indulged a host of illicit desires. He just indulged the lures of cardinal, cardinal indulgence, sex, wanton influence, money, power, greed, and prideful ambition. He just let how he has lived his life just feeding on those things, just relishing all those things. And he goes on to share that even when Jesus piqued his interest, and the backstory of Augustine, by the way, is his mother who prayed for him his whole life long. Please, God, save my boy. How many moms can relate to that? Please. And finally, when his mom's prayer started to crack through, and Augustine actually... Was, his interest was piqued, and he started to believe in Christ. Don't miss this part. Augustine shares how when he actually started to believe in Christ, he still was held captive by his desires. Even though he professed again and again how he wanted to follow Jesus, Augustine failed to squelch or let go of his selfish passions. I love this. Augustine prayed, would pray, grant me chastity and continence, Lord, but not yet. Honest, right? Grant me chastity and continence, Augustine would pray, but not yet. And so he remained a prisoner of his desires until one day he writes about this. He was overwhelmed with despair, and he picked up the Bible, and he heard the unambiguous voice of God through the book of Romans, telling him to put on the Lord Christ and to let his desires be shaped by Jesus. And thus began a journey of faith that completely transformed his life and radically affected the church, our fellowship as we know it today. The thing is, what Augustine learned along the way and shared with us is humans cannot give up wanting. You can't give it up. You know, we often talk about our desires, give it up, tame it, put it down. Augustine, you're not gonna be able to do that. You can't give up wanting because again, as we talked about, central to our human identity is our capacity for desire. It's God-given. What Augustine taught us and learned himself is in yielding to the gracious power of the Holy Spirit. Instead, in yielding to the gracious power of the Holy Spirit, Augustine discovered our desires could be lovingly reformed and gradually reoriented to the will of God. Beloved, once again, the good news, the gospel, is God won't give you the desires of your heart, but God will give you the desires of his heart for you and for this world. But let's just really keep it honest. Maybe this still doesn't sound like good news to you. Well, there's a reason that the Bible refers to us as children of God. Like children, we don't know what's best for us. We often want things that aren't right or good for us. Now, and I think most of you can relate to this, as a child, 
I was often frustrated with my parents for not giving me things I wanted. Please tell me that somebody else had shared that frustration, right? My parents just didn't get it. They didn't give me things that I wanted. But you know what's interesting? Now as the parent of two kids whom I love very much, now as an adult, as their father who sees a lot more than they do, who understands the world better than they do, who can see around corners and has experienced things they can't yet fathom and understands all actions have consequences, I've come to appreciate the situation from the other side. I've learned better than to give my kids whatever they want. Now, here it is. I know if Ethan asks me to give him junk food all the time, it will prevent him from eating things his body actually needs in order to grow and be healthy. So I don't. And I don't do this to frustrate Ethan. I do it because I know it's not what he needs. I know if Emma demands that I do her homework for her. I'm so done with college. I'm so close. Do my homework for me. I would be denying her the experience and accomplishment of learning for herself. So I don't. Not because I don't care about her, but because I do. I want her to fully grow into the person she was destined to become. What's interesting, and Jesus encourages us to perceive God in the very same way, right? As a loving father who seeks to give his children what is good. What is good in God's estimation, not ours. Apart from the Lord, you see, we only see a fraction of the big picture, right? But God as our Father sees everything, knows our motivations. He knows what's best for us. He knows what will grow us up and build us into the people he created us to be. That's the background. That's the condition behind Jesus telling us in that passage to ask, seek, and knock, and the Lord will answer. God will not give us whatever we want because often what we want, no matter how much we clamor for it, is not good for us. It's not what we need. Jesus tells us plainly in that same passage, a good parent doesn't give to his or her child something that is bad or injurious, no matter how much the child demands it. To do so would be wrong, Jesus says, unloving, uncaring. On the other hand, Jesus says when a child asks for something the parent knows is beneficial, good for them, the parent eagerly provides it. God is this kind of parent, a good father. He does not give us the desires of our heart, but out of his heart for us and his desires for this world, the Lord gives us what we need. You might ask, what are God's desires for us and for this world? It's not hard. He repeats it over and over again. God's desires for you and me, God's desires for this world are for us to thrive. God's desires is, desire is for us to be redeemed, for us to become, for this creation to become all it was created to be. God's desire for you and me and for this world is for us to experience and savor love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, right? What that looks like for each person may be unique, but the ingredients remain the same in terms of God's desires, the desire of his heart for us and for this world. The challenge for us is that we often see this fruit that God talks about. We see our success, our health, our wealth, and the desires of our hearts through earthly lenses, right? 
But Jesus repeatedly defines such things from an eternal perspective. These things that God desires for us and for our world, he defines them from an eternal perspective. That the true blessings, the lasting rewards come in the life to be. What we are given now, what we are given in the here and now, are, the, are not the ends, but the means. The tools for us to be the stewards of the gospel we have been called to be. And this is the inherent flaw in the prosperity gospel, by the way. Because the inherent flaw in the prosperity gospel is God has, has said all believers have been entrusted with earthly treasures of one kind or another. All of us have been entrusted with earthly treasures of one kind or another. Gaining more resources, which the prosperity gospel says God is about, gaining more resources, more health, more wealth, is not a guarantee from God. It's not even a necessity per Jesus. In fact, for some, considerable resources, gaining more riches beyond one's means may be a deterrent and a stumbling block in their walk with the Lord. It may actually lead us astray from God instead of drawing us to him. We are given in this life what we need from God and we work with what we are given. We need to trust our Father is good knows best and gives us what we need. To desire or covet more than we need is to distance ourselves from the Lord, not to trust our good Father, but to put more stock in ourselves, in what we gain, in what we earn. And that's never gonna satisfy. The truth is, if we want what is not in God's will, think about this, if we want what is not in God's will, then we really don't want to receive it. I mean, right? If we want what's not in God's will, then you really don't want to receive it. All right, look, let me tell you. I can tell you for a fact that if God had granted every desire of my heart over the last 47 years, it would not have been pretty. I know I'm not alone in this. Just stop for a second and think about it. If God had granted every desire of my heart in the last 47 years, ugly. Because what I've wanted has not always been what I needed. Or what was good for me? Even as someone who loves the Lord, even as standing up here as your pastor, I'm human, I'm imperfect, I am selfish, I am fickle, I'm a work in progress, right? And I can acknowledge that being given all the desires of my heart wouldn't have been beneficial, it wouldn't have been productive or valuable for me or anyone else. And here it is, if I can see that only in part, if I can recognize that only in part, and what I mean by part is there's like a certain number of things that I can go, man, I'm really glad, God, you didn't give that to me. But there's a whole bunch of stuff where I'm like, God, I still got a chip on my shoulder because you didn't give that to me. But if I can only see in part some stuff where I'm like, man, God knew what he was doing. I am glad he did not give me the desire of my heart. If I can only see that in part, then can I trust God knows best with the whole? Can I trust that God knows best with the whole if I can only see it in part? And the thing is, on the other side of this, I can testify, and we don't got time today, but yeah, I'm always open for coffee, like I say, or lunch, or just getting together. God has not always given me what I wanted, but I can testify. <laughs> Six ways to Sunday, right? The Lord has always provided what I have needed. Always. So, if you're with me, you might ask, how do, we how do we know, how do we learn and experience what God desires for us and for this world? If, if, how, do how does that happen? 
If on our own, apart from God, we don't know what is good, and then we don't know how to desire what is good. If we don't understand what to ask for, and if we lack the will to do so, what's next? What, you know, what do we do with this? And the good news, the gospel, is we don't make this happen out of our own strength. Hear that this morning. The burden, unlike the prosperity gospel says, isn't on you. You don't make this happen. Today, as I said, is Pentecost. Today is the day we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit. God giving us the authority and power of his spirit in order to be transformed. Today is about remembering and celebrating that to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be given both the insight and the will to know, to seek, and to embrace what is good, what is of God. It's not about you or me. It's not as something that happens in our own strength. It comes from God who gives us his spirit, gives us the authority and power to know, to seek, and to embrace what is good, what is of God. All we have to do is yield, submit, surrender to the spirit of God in our lives. The Bible describes this posture of submission in a variety of ways. Psalm 37, which I mentioned earlier, speaks of it this way. Take delight in the Lord. That's the first part of the verse. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Take delight in the Lord. The Hebrew word for delight means to be soft or pliable. To delight yourself in the Lord means to be clay in the potter's hands. It's to make yourself pliable to his molding and shaping of your heart, your mind, and your life. This is what St. Augustine did, right? He stopped trying to be in charge of his own life and trusted the Spirit of Christ to reshape his desires and redirect his thoughts, feelings, words, and actions. Psalm 37 talks about it being, this posture as being delighting in the Lord. Paul, the Apostle Paul, refers to this spirit-filled orientation as offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. Offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to God instead of being conformed to this world. That's from Romans 12. That's how Paul describes it. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice instead of being conformed to this world. This offering, this sacrifice Paul is talking about is releasing our habits, our way of doing things to the Lord. Again, it's about trusting my father knows what's best for me versus I know what's best for me. And in the midst of that submission, that yielding, yes, we still face choices and make decisions, but we do so not independently. We make those choices and decisions in deference to following Jesus and in consultation with the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on in that verse from Romans 12 to describe how when we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, this will result in our being transformed by the renewing of our minds which then, he writes, will enable us to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's briefly talk about that. How do we know if a desire is good or bad? Filled with the Spirit, how do we know if a desire is good or bad? To be filled with the Spirit is one thing. God does that, but we have to listen to the Holy Spirit. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit to determine the object or reason for the desire we have. If the desire we have is self-centered, and I'm not talking about self-care, I'm not talking about taking care of yourself. If the desire is self-centered, meaning it's putting ourselves, our will, our way before or in place of God, then that desire is bad. That desire is bad. Good desire seeks God's will first. Good desire seeks what's pure, what's right, 
what's pleasing and true to Christ. And Jesus teaches us this, shows us what's pure, what's good, what's right, what's pleasing. Another way to think of this, if you're asking, how do I know if a desire is good or bad? Through the Spirit, remember, desires born from sin always have diminishing returns. Desires born from sin, from our brokenness, always have diminishing returns. Because desire for one's own well-being, irrespective of the well-being of others, always takes more than it gives. When we try to enjoy the things of this world apart from a relationship of self-giving love with God and with others, our desires, as we talked about earlier, consume us until they ultimately cripple us. Think about it. An insatiable desire for more and more gadgets. Who's controlling who? Do you control your phone or does your phone control you? A desire to have better things than the next person. At the end of the day, the more stuff that you get, do you ever enjoy those things if it's always about having better things than the next person or does your stuff control you? A compelling desire for an expensive item you can't possibly responsibly afford. You get it, but then you're paying for it in debt. Do you really own that thing you've desired or based on the debt you're carrying, does that own you? Godly desires Good desires, on the other hand, the desire to identify and help a person in need, the desire to listen and to care for another person more attentively, the desire to forgive and to make peace, the desire to share the truth and love of Christ with another person. Good desires, godly desires, selfless desires have ever-increasing returns. It's the exact opposite. When we involve God and others in our enjoyment of this world, when you involve God and others in your enjoyment of this world, there is no end to the joy and satisfaction you can experience. I hope you've tasted that. There's no, the well never runs dry when you involve God and others in your enjoyment of this world. Loving godly relationships can never become too deep. Do you realize that? They, can, they never become too deep. Loving godly relationships just continue to deepen and mature. We can never have too big of a network of a loving community people who've got our back, people who are there for us to hold us up to encourage and support us. What you're hearing in all this, when we talk about how do we know, how do we learn what God's desires are for us and for this world, it all hinges on a relationship, on having the kind of relationship the Lord wants with us and the, one, the kind of relationship the Lord offers to us. My friends, too many of us are settling for a secondhand relationship with Jesus, where we are not directly encountering Christ. Our relationship with Jesus, some of you have grown up in a Christian home, I'm here to tell you, you have a secondhand relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus is based upon secondhand information and experience. Somebody told me, I, that's what I, what I, this is what I heard, this is what I was taught. That's all well and good, but Jesus came down in the flesh. The Holy Spirit was given to us at Pentecost because God doesn't desire a secondhand relationship with you. God wants a firsthand relationship with you. God doesn't want to have a relationship with you that's entirely mediated through another person. God wants to speak to you. That's the point of this sermon series. That's why we did it. This is where the problem lies. Why do we keep repeating things Jesus never said? Why do we keep sharing stuff that the, that's not in the Bible? Because we don't go to the source. Because we just repeat what we hear from other people. Our knowledge of Jesus, our knowledge of the Bible, our relationship is based upon what other people tell us. But God gives us his word and gives us his spirit so we can go to the source. So as Jesus says in this verse from today, so we can abide with the vine via the word and the spirit. My friend, 
My friends, when I talk about this firsthand relationship, what I'm talking about is prayer. Prayer. Prayer is a conversation, people, not a list of requests. If prayer is a to-do list that you just hand to God every day, you're missing the relationship. Prayer is a conversation. The Lord wants to talk to you, to speak to you. Are you making time to listen? Are you turning down the noise in your life so you can hear him? Scripture is a story. Having a Bible is not some kind of golden key that gets you into heaven. Scripture is a story. God gives us this story because he seeks to tell us this story and to bring us into this story again and again because this story points us to Christ. The Word made flesh. Is your Bible open or is it just sitting on your shelf? Do you just bring it and every so often when someone tells you, do you look up a verse or are you in the story? Are you reading the book? Are you getting to know Jesus? Are you centering your life around him, around it? So many of us are settling for a second-hand relationship, but God wants a first-hand relationship. People, the, the Lord isn't a genie. This verse, God will give us the desires of our heart, is for people who want to see God as a genie. God is not a genie. It's not our vending machine that, that art in heaven. Our relationship with God isn't an exchange. It's not tit for tat. It's not God saying, hey, you know what? I'll see your praise lifted up to me with one blessing rain down on you. That kind of relationship is a consumer relationship. The relationship our Father wants to have with us is different, different. It's deeper and richer than a transactional one. The relationship that God desires with us is a firsthand relationship, giving Him, being with Him in our everyday. It's a relationship of intimacy, of knowing and being known. Do you have that kind of relationship with the Lord of knowing and being known? It's a relationship of connection, of being and fulfillment that is more than a momentary pleasure, but an everlasting joy. It's a relationship of stewardship, of representing and following Jesus, not out of convenience, but from a place of conviction and a longing to see all creation transformed. Do you have that kind of relationship? Because that's a firsthand relationship with God. You see, our perspective changes when we experience Christ firsthand. Our desires, our goals become different. When you have a firsthand relationship with Jesus, what you once viewed as everything, what you once viewed as everything, what you once viewed as what matters, what defines you, what lasts, you know, a certain level of earning, a specific title or degree, our relationship status, how many likes or friends you have, how many cars or homes you own, what you once viewed as everything, what matters, what defines you, what lasts, when you have a firsthand relationship, you suddenly see differently. You see all those things not as what matters, but as resources to share what is eternally good and enduring, to share knowing Christ and being found in him. Because when you actually lock eyes with Jesus and gracefully follow each step he takes, focusing on him fully rather than all the distractions around us, you suddenly realize the real treasure before us is people, relationships we can be a part of. You suddenly realize, you recognize how precious the time is that we've been given. When you lock eyes with Jesus, you suddenly understand that we cannot squander the sacredness of a moment, that we find hope and experience peace even when the road is long, when the way is uncertain, and when the path is filled with obstacles. And when you lock eyes with Jesus, you understand that in the end that you can trust that you'll get exactly to where you need to be. Beloved, never underestimate the power of desire. 
Our desires, satisfying them, are what drive us. We're always moving to fulfill our desires. Beliefs don't change behavior. This is an interesting thing to think about. Beliefs don't change behavior. Our desires do. Beliefs don't change behaviors. Your desires do. I believe eating too much ice cream isn't good for you. But it is my insatiable desire for ice cream that has realized what you see before you today. Beliefs don't change behaviors. Desires do. Your desire is your destiny. Jesus put it this way. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart. Our our desire, another way to think about this, what we aspire to communicates who we are. Our desire, what we aspire to communicates whose we are as well. What does your desire communicate about you? Who you are who you belong to. Because discipleship, following Jesus, is about the formation of our desires. We can't think our way into the kingdom of God. We can't think our way into the kingdom of God. We arrive there by love, by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit, transforming our longings into his. So let us stop asking Jesus for help trying. That's our typical prayer. Help us try to be different. Help us try to be better. Help us to think about it and make it right in our heads. Let's stop trying. To, let's stop asking help for help trying from Jesus and instead let's start asking Christ for help wanting. Stop asking for help trying and stop, start asking Christ for help wanting to grow in your desire for him, to know him, to talk to him, to follow him, First hand, because it's out of that kind of relationship with Jesus that God will not give you the desires of your heart, but God will give you the desires of his heart for us and for the world. All we have to do is yield to surrender the life of our dreams for the life that God offers, a life we've never dreamed of, a life that is so much more than we could ever imagine or hope for. Amen. Amen.